0: Guys, take your Bibles this morning, let's go to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to be all over the scriptures this morning. As you know, we are continuing our topical study, which I don't like doing topical studies, but that's where we've been all summer. Uh, finishing out our study of the nine marks of a healthy church. book by Mark Dever, encourage you to pick it up and read it again free pdf online Um, but it's an excellent read and again like most of us though some of us want to avoid the doctor i'm one of them but every now and then we got to go in for a checkup every now and then it's good to get a physical and church i believe it's good for us on occasion to get a health check to get a spiritual checkup and i think this summer that's what we've had this has been a good spiritual checkup for us looking at uh, what the Bible has to say on some clear markings that make up a healthy church. Now we were set to conclude this last week and we did not go figure. There's a shocker. Um, And uh, we hope to finish it this week and the last mark of a healthy church is that of biblical leadership. Biblical leadership. And of course Naturally, you think, when you think of the church, you think of when you speak of leadership, a lot of times you immediately assume the um, pastor or deacons, uh, Sunday school teachers, those, those that make up that, that leadership team, and that's part of it. But last week, when we began this part one of biblical leadership, we looked at the context for leadership. And that's important to understand. What is the context for leadership? And if you weren't here last week, I encourage you to go online and check out our um, Roku channel. Go back and check our archive on biblical leadership part one, because it lays the foundation for what we're going to be talking about today. So with that said, let's do a quick recap Uh, Of what we've been looking at so the outline on leadership in this section the first part we looked at last week was the congregational context of, of church leadership there is a vital part to understand and you're that vital part God has invested in his word the authority within the believers that make up the church And so Community Baptist Church, we're going to start here because this is who we are and this is where we are. Community Baptist Church, we talked about this last week. God has called you to be active in how and who the leadership is within this body. You have an active part. We're going to look at today the biblical qualifications for church leadership. So, uh, you may recall, under the congregational context of church leadership, last time we talked about the church has the final say in certain things that are done. And we gave you biblical examples. By the way, your pastor does not want to stand up here and give you his opinions uh, because they're not worth much. I want to give you biblical principles, biblical authority, because that's something you and I can stand on. That's something we can hold to. And so in the Scriptures, we looked at several examples last week of how you have the final say. And so how, how do I have the final say? You have the final say in selecting deacons. Next week, we will be saying yea or nay on who our deacons are. Now, I hate it that I did not get to do my deacon study for the whole church. Maybe I need to do that and I might bring it back next year, Lord willing. Because there's something that we need to understand when it comes to leadership within the local church. Deacons are not out front leaders. The word diakonos, diakonia, diakono, when you find this word throughout Scripture, it's always in description of a servant. The deacon was called to serve. In its original Acts 6 form, they were table waiters. That was their role. They were to assist. They were to help. They were to serve so that the apostles could be given to prayer and ministry of the Word. Now you've got to realize, the church was just being birthed. 3,000 just came to, to know Christ. So the church is just being born. This is a prototype of what would set the tone for leadership down the road. And by the way, in Acts 6, Who made the selection of those servants? Choose from among yourselves. The church had the say in who those men were. And church, next week you have a say in who is to serve. Now, we're going to talk about today the importance of qualification. And that is the litmus test whether it's a pastor Whether it's a deacon, whether it's a Sunday school teacher, qualifications, character matters, right? Full of wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit. These things we find in Scripture. But the church was the context in which these men were selected. We also looked at when it comes to supplying discipline. The church is the final say in church discipline. Matthew 18, remember, go to your brother. If your brother hears you, you've gained your brother. But if your brother doesn't hear you, then you get two or more witnesses. And you come and you say, hey, brother, listen, man, I'm pleading with you. You're in sin. You need to repent and we love you and we want you to get your life right. And he's not listening to them. Who's the last person you tell it to? Say it loud. The church. It's the church. The church is the one who has the final say in whether or not they're to be turned over to Satan. This is Scripture, guys. Don't get mad at me the Scripture says the church has the final say as to whether or not to put them out of the congregation. And then we looked at, um, in, in regards to the congregational church leadership and the church having the final say in certain things that not only are done, but also things that are taught. Now we made, real, made it real clear. You said, well, wait a minute, the church has a say on what? You mean we get to take a survey on what the pastor wants to preach next week? No. That's not what the Bible says. But we talked about how you are culpable. You are responsible that if this pastor or any other pastor in this pulpit begins to teach a false gospel, you're responsible to hold them accountable. Now our churches, I think, too often times, and this is why we went in last week, that that we're not a democracy. The American church has confused congregationalism and biblical authority with democracy. And so when the pastor starts doing something the church don't like, we're going to vote him out. We're going to vote him out. We're going to vote him out. That's democracy. Jesus did not want to go to the cross in his flesh. Lord, if there is any other way, please let this cup pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, thy will be done. Guys, there's going to be times in church life where you're not going to prefer something. You wanted the red carpet. I voted the red carpet. Hmm. We're not talking preference. We've all got opinions, we've all got preferences, but those things should not divide us. Not my will. Thy will be done. And so when we understand the context of responsibilities, church, you have a responsibility in what is taught. The truth of the message. We saw this in Galatians 1. Remember, Paul's whole letter to the Galatians was this. How is it that you came to faith by grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone? And now... You're going to add to that the the works of the Old Testament and the law, and you want to go back to doing some of those ritualistic things? Who has bewitched you? He says multiple times, twice. We looked at this last week. If anyone brings to you another gospel, let them be accursed. Let them be condemned. And he's including himself in that. And church, I will say to you, if your pastor, if Jeremy, brings to you a false gospel, you have a responsibility It's time for me to go. The church is responsible and has has the final say in certain things that are taught. The truth of the message and the teaching of the messenger. In 2 Timothy, it said that they set up for themselves. Who set up for themselves? The pastors? The deacons? The church set up for themselves teachers who would tickle their ears. Oh, I love that pastor. Pastor. He's good. He juggles fire and rides a unicycle. I'm just saying. Oh, that pastor's good, man. He tells them stories all the time. Man, just good stories from his childhood. I love them stories. Them stories make me feel good. If you're not careful, church, you can feed your flesh. If you're not careful, church, you can set up for yourself somebody that's going to allow you to be comfortable in your spiritual walk. Because who doesn't want to be comfortable? I mean, man, if that AC ain't just right, we're we're huffing and puffing on the way home. You know? If if things don't roll our way, you know, we can sometimes get a little bent out of shape. You know, I was reminded last night, and I posted this morning, and I can't think of exactly where it is. It eludes me right now, but... uh, Franklin Graham had shared pastor and his family. Ninety some homes burnt to the ground in this Christian village by radical Muslims in Africa. And they were butchered, family members, pastor, torch set on fire because they're Christians, because they're believers. Community of believers being decimated simply because they gathered. In a place to worship Jesus Christ and we're concerned about the carpet we're concerned about the temperature guys my responsibility as a pastor is not to make you comfortable in fact I would say if I'm making you comfortable I may not be doing what God has called me to do because I don't know about you but when I study the scriptures I'm a little uncomfortable because I see in the mirror my issues my struggles where I need to get right. And then as I share that truth with you, my prayer is that we are all being chipped at, that we all are being more and more conformed into the image of His Son. And let's be honest, that makes us uncomfortable. Church, you have a responsibility on the truth of the message and the teaching of the messenger. That's what these examples in Scripture that we pointed out last week talk to us about. And so, with that backdrop, the context of church leadership rests with you because it's you who brought this pastor. It's you that brought this pastor. It's you that brought Pastor Dean. Church, it's you that if the Lord tarries, and hopefully 50 years from now, when I'm in the grave, you will call another pastor. And you will be responsible for their teaching, the truth of their message, and the teaching of the messenger. And that's why it's important for us to have these checkups spiritually so that we get our focus back in line with the truth of the gospel and understand what it means to be a healthy church, biblically speaking. And so with that said, uh, this is the flowchart. And most of you get this through the new members class. If, uh, if you haven't, I can always make you a copy. But I, I kind of alluded to this last week, and so I wanted to show you this this week. You notice up at the top, the head of the church. We better get that straight. The head of the church is Jesus Christ. I know I'm going to look at this thing and figure out how, how to turn on that little red laser. Remind me. Oh, there it was. Ah. Burnt retina. Just kidding. All right. Jesus is the head of the church. That's where we get our marching orders. He is the leader. He is the head. You notice this gray area is the next tier. It says elders, pastors. In God's economy, He has called us to do things decently and in order. Guys, we don't have to like your lot in life, but God is a God of order. And and please hear me on this. I don't care if it's government, I don't care if it's the home, or if it's the local church. These are the three institutions that you find in biblical authority that God established. He established government, he established the family, and he established the church. And within all three institutions, he established it with order. Differing responsibilities, yet equality. But in responsibility, there's not equality in the responsibility. What do you mean? Well, you go to work tomorrow, and if you work for a boss... You try to assert their authority and do what's their job. Go ahead and fill out your resume and application for a new job. Right? You understand in the workplace. This is what baffles me with Christians. We understand in the workplace. And we talk about, man, we need to be good workers as Christians. And we do. We better be. But we don't practice what we preach in the workforce. We understand role and responsibility in the workforce. Guys, order comes from God. Lack of order comes from the enemy. In the home, God has established order. The husband has been called to spiritually lead the home. That's God's order. He didn't call us, ladies, to birth the children. That's not my responsibility, though I know I could do a better job. (laughs) That's a joke. I do not want that responsibility, nor could I do it better. My wife knows I would be in a fetal position going, <laughs> anyway, I'm a big baby. But, but again, I use that natural example because, guys, it's, it's, it demonstrates very distinctly that God has given responsibility and order within government, within the home, and it's no different within the church. In fact, Christ himself demonstrated this while he was on earth. Read the, read the Gospels. What do you see Jesus saying over and over and over again? I come to do the will of my Father. I'm not here to do my own will. I'm here to do the will of the Father who sent me. That's why he prayed what I, uh, what I quoted a while ago, him praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Nevertheless, not my will be done, thy will be done. The Godhead... God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, all equally God. One's not better than the other. But Christ demonstrated for us submission. Who am I to try and think I am better than Jesus Christ and not adhere or submit to His, His design when it comes to order Christ was submitted to the will of the Father that's why the Holy Spirit points people to Christ that's the Holy Spirit's responsibility to draw people to Christ at the cross of Calvary who he is and as you become a believer in Christ he seals you with the promise of the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption There's order in the Godhead. Why would there not be order in government? By the way, we're seeing a lack of order now. The rising up of the people, anarchy and chaos is what ensues. Right? We scream at the TV set because of this. But the same thing is happening in your homes. The same thing is happening in our churches. So, we must be the light of the world. We must be the salt of the world. We must be the example uh, to the world. And when we submit, we submit to one authority and one authority only. The head of the church. The head of all principalities and powers. Because it's all under His rule. Do we understand that? That's important. So... This is the order he's established within the church. He has said that the pastors and the elders are to lead, and we'll look at that in just a moment. But then he's also called to the office we talked about this in our Sunday school. You don't have a deacon board. We need to all get away from saying that. That term came about in the late 1800s, early 1900s because uh, a certain individual who worked in the banking industry wanted to implement some of those world, worldly practices because it seemed to work good in the world and he wanted to bring that into the church. And so they, they developed these boards uh, to help in the way of uh, governing financial things and so forth and so on. The Scriptures call for an office... But understand the office biblically. The office biblically is how can I help? What can I do to serve? And it's in scriptural backdrop of assisting the pastors and elders to accomplish the work for the sake of the ministry. And we talked about this in my Sunday school class, and we'll talk about it here today. Responsibility for me as a pastor, for Nate as a pastor, for Pastor Dean. We're not to lord it. We're not to usurp it. Just like men in the home, you're supposed to... uh, Uh, resist the temptation because our sin slant is going to be to lord over our wives. And when we do that, we're in sin. We are to follow Christ's head, who is our example, who said, Husbands, love your wives. Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. So I'm submitting in servanthood to my wife when I am fulfilling that commandment. I am loving my wife as God has called me, to love her when I practice and implement that. And so we understand this role and responsibility. We see here the ministry that's carried out, and by the way you can again look at this, I've included trustees, Sunday school superintendent and secretary here because in a sense they're they're doing a unique serving responsibility. And we do have that in our church. We do have deacons. And we, or we also have trustees and Sunday school superintendent and secretary who, who serve. By the way, if you want to hear, uh, you've got to go online and listen to my podcast or go back and watch last week's uh, or the Sunday school s- uh, session on whether or not deaconesses are for the church today or ask a neighbor who was here. But in the simple definition of the term, we are all to be servants... And so we have servant-oriented ministries that you see here in a different tier, different color. We also see these other ministries, music ministry, men's ministry, mission support team, athletics. I mean, there's all kinds of various ministries that we do here at this church. Again, they're all servant-oriented roles. You may find yourself as a leader, department head in those areas, and so I hope that this overall principle um, uh, that we'll be learning today will help you in those areas. We see our Sunday school, children, teens, college, adult. But you'll notice down here, Community Baptist Church members, that color is intentionally the same color, a little bit skewed, a little bit off from Christ, our head. Because as believers, we should be sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. We should be believers desiring the headship of Christ. And you'll notice all around every box is the same red tone. Why is that? Because at the end of the day, every one of us, every one of us, church, is to be in submission to the head of the church, Jesus Christ. So if your pastor is submitted to the will of the Father who is submitted to the head, Jesus Christ, who's full of the Holy Spirit, then I will be on the same page as God's will being done, not my will being done. And that's why we must pray for our pastors to be in tune with God in His direction. And guess what, Sunday school teachers, ministry directors, deacons who are serving, trustees, secretaries, if we too are yielding to God's will being done, then this is what consists and makes a healthy church. Why would we not be on board with that church? And as a whole community, you are. And I believe that's why you've experienced the blessing that you have for so many years. Because we recognize Christ is our head and His Word is our final authority. Not the passing whims of the world, not the wisdom of man, but the wisdom of God. And so, I want to talk to us today about the biblical qualifications for church leadership. Um, You'll see this uh, in 1 Peter 5, 1 through 2. So if you would, we finally got there. Notice what it says here in the text. So I exhort the elders among you, You may want to underline that word elders. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Verse 2. Shepherd. You may want to underline that word. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight. You may want to underline that word. Exercising oversight not under compulsion but willingly as god would have you not for shameful gain but eagerly so in our sunday school class we looked at this passage and here are three synonymous terms describing the biblical office of an under shepherd Of a pastor within the local church. So, what is an elder? Because it used the term elder. All right, those that were in my Sunday school class, interaction time. Everybody perk up, listen up if you tuned out. What's an elder? A pastor. What is a pastor? Shepherd, under shepherd. Yes, shepherd. It's the Greek word poimen. And you'll find this, and uh, in, in, we just saw an example of it there. And of course, the great shepherd is Jesus Christ. The word elder, when you see it in Scripture, it's the word presbyteros. And that means elder. Sometimes elder, by the way, could refer to an elderly person. Context will determine that. But majority of time in the New Testament when it speaks of elder in the context of church leadership or an office, it is clearly in regards to the synonymous term pastor, elder, bishop. The word episkopos, that's the Greek word episkopos. It means bishop. It's the same thing. A bishop, episkopos, is an overseer. And if you just notice in the first Peter passage that we read, it included all three terms. Poimen, presbyteros, and episkopos. It wasn't describing three different people. It's describing the same office. And this is important. In fact, that word, when you look there in that text that we just read, uh, there in 1 Peter uh, 5, it says, I exhort the elders among you, presbyteros, shepherd, poyman, God's flock, which is the church, among you. not over, uh, Overseeing, not out of compulsion. So, so the idea of overseeing implies something. And we've talked about this in our Sunday school class. The responsibility of oversight within what goes on within the scope of the ministries of Community Baptist Church rests with the overseers. It rests with the bishops. It rests with the elders. We don't use words like overseer, bishop, and elder in this church. We're Baptistic in our background, and words mean something. And so a familiar term that you're used to is pastor. And so that's why we use that word. And that's okay, um, because that's what the Bible uses. But if you ever hear somebody reference, do you have or somebody says, "Do y'all have elders at your church?" What's the answer? Yes. In fact, you have three in pastoral in the in the pastoral area: Pastor Dean, Pastor Nate, and Pastor Jeremy. You have three elders, right? We did have four. Dr. Shook is an ordained minister. He's a pastor. So you have a plurality of elders. Now the function of oversight, again, um, we have differing areas of responsibility. Pastor Dean, Pastor Nathan, and Pastor Jeremy. Just as the scriptures would ask of us. So we don't use words like bishop and elder. And by the way, when you have friends and people who use those words, don't assume they understand this because, again, a lot of people don't understand this. This is why we've got so many you know, ideas that are out there under the umbrella of Christianity that are not biblical. And we must engage to help teach, correct, rebuke with gentleness and meekness, right? Right? So, what does the Bible say are the qualifications for an elder, for a pastor? Everybody go to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. We're looking at what the Bible says in regards to qualifications of pastors. What what does God say are the standards and the practices if you're going to be a pastor, if you're going to be an elder? Uh, I'm actually going to be reading from the Holman, so this is going to sound a little different, um, but just, just follow along. I know, Pastor, getting all crazy up here right this morning. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, an able teacher not addicted to wine, not a bully, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not greedy, one who manages his own household competently, having his children under control with all dignity. If anyone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of God's church? Again, there's implication in that statement, is there not? In regards to responsibility. He must not be a new convert, or he might become conceited and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Furthermore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. And then he goes into deacons, likewise, should be worthy of respect, not hypocritical, not drinking a lot of wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and they must also be tested first if they prove blameless and they can serve as deacons, and so on and so on. You see here, and again we use this chart in our Sunday school class, uh, the difference, there's another scripture, Titus 1, 5 through 9, that gives qualifications of pastors. And so these are things that must be exemplified in the life of a pastor. And so church, in the context of your selecting pastor, pastors, these should be, Qualities of their life. And again, this is important to note that just like your brother and sister in Christ, uh, you don't put them under the microscope and wait for the tripping moment to say, aha! Though you know there are people in the world who do that to you. They love to single out the Christians. Right. It's also not to say that you take lightly when a pastor is displaying continual evidence and fruit or lack thereof, you have a responsibility to hold him accountable. But there's a biblical method in which you do it. It says that you are to not receive an accusation against a pastor without two or more witnesses. And that's very important. Very important. Because anyone who serves an area of leadership, how many of you just curious, in a respective role in your workplace, job, business owner, serve in some level of leadership in your workplace? Everybody raise your hand that, that that fits you. Good number of people here that serve in those areas. Okay. Where do the fiery darts normally get shot at? You. Guys, when you're out front, you're going to be the first one hit. That's just part of it. The question is, does the mud stick? It's not a matter of whether people are going to throw mud. People are going to throw mud. Absolutely. That comes with being a leader. The question is, will it stick? All right? And so that's when the Bible speaks of being blameless. That's a good thing. Practical way of understanding the, the term. I want to talk to you, and this will help you guys who are, who are leaders, those of you who are aspiring to, to take a lead position or, or, or wherever, in general, uh, when it comes to the aspects of leadership. Um, Mark Dever talks in his book, this is from his book, about four aspects of, of being a leader, being a boss. Now, some of you may not like that term. Uh, it's his term, not my term. But I understand his point in this because, again, if you what does a boss do? A boss has oversight. The boss has a responsibility to make sure things are running smooth in the company, right? So think of it from that understanding, and it is applicable to the church, that your pastors uh, don't want to use the term boss because we're not your boss. And I know you don't like being told what to do. I can't stand to be told what to do at work. Or I don't want to come to church and to be told what to do. But... <laughs> At the same time, there are some areas where there's overlap because, again, God is a God of order. And so we're speaking specifically to responsibilities in leadership. Okay? So please give, us some, give some leeway to Mark Dever in this. All right? So notice these triangles. The first one I want to point out is B, which equals boss. And again, this is the one who is out front. The boss is out front. Um, or the O. Notice, uh, I'm gonna go, Let me just set these up, and then I'll, I'll give you a definition. How about that? Everybody take a look at that. Maybe you want to write that, draw that. I'll give you a second. Two seconds, three. Okay. Notice this. These are the four areas we're going to look at this morning. So the boss is some... like So for example, some today are uncomfortable with this. The boss. But Jesus clearly instructed his followers, and that includes us, to do the same to teach to give instructions to be willing to exercise authority when he calls us to do so this kind of leadership should not be avoided though such authority may be abused and again that's a battle men in your home Pastors in a church, there's the potential of this authority that God has invested in us, in our role, it can be abused. And we need to be very careful, and that's why we need to surround ourselves with people who are full of the Holy Spirit, trustworthy, to hold us accountable, keep us in check, checks and balances. Though such authority may be abused, authority itself is a good thing. And we can help to recover a godly respect for authority by exercising it carefully, guys. Why do you think we are? Why do you think we have a week worth of the craziness that went on uh, under uh, Kavanaugh's confirmation? There's no respect for order and authority, which is a marking of the end times. Lawlessness will be a marking of the end time. Church, that need not be in the body of Christ, nor in the Christian home, nor in our lives as Christian bosses, employees, leaders. So this is important. The abuse of something good does not show the thing itself to be bad. Let me say that again. The abuse of something good does not show the thing itself to be bad. Authority itself, as God intends it to be, is good. Even life-giving and proper biblical submission can also be life-giving. The submission of children to parents, that's good. Wives to husbands, members to pastors, all point to the submission of humans to God. You're not submitting to me, guys. You're submitting to the head of the church who gave us this playbook. I'm submitting to the head when I love my wife as Christ loved the church. Ultimately, we have life because of the eternal Son's submission to His heavenly Father's will. It is a lie of Satan to say that submission is inherently demeaning. End quote. Page 245. Mark Dever. Guys, we're thumbing our nose at God's authority. when we do our own thing and we've seen this we see what's happening we see the eroding we've seen it for years happening in our schools in our homes in our government in our churches so the first one you've seen at the top that that first one at the top again that's an under shepherd in order uh, again, whether you're a leader, and you can use this in your, in your realm of, of, of uh, oversight, of leadership. Um, but then you see the one that's out front. A leader should be out front. Not just overseeing, they should also be out front. Being out front, taking the initiative, setting the example. Much of leadership is example setting and initiative taking. And you guys know my philosophy here, and I know Nate adheres to this as well. I know Brother Dean adheres to this as well. We're not going to ask you to do something we're not willing to do ourselves or we have done, have done ourselves. We're not going to ask you to do something we haven't either done or we're doing or going to do. We've tried to lead by example in these areas. And so it's important to be out front as a leader. That's biblical leadership. We see this in Scripture. Jesus said in John 13, 34, As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He led out front by example. Paul wrote, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Philippians 2, 5. Um, Peter exhorted some early Christians to remember that Christ suffered for you. leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. 1 Peter 2.21 To the Corinthian Christians, Paul wrote, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Guys, you know that I am going to strive by the grace of God to be a leader to you by example. But let me just say this loud and clear. Your eyes should not be on me. Your eyes should be upon the one that I'm seeking to represent, Jesus Christ. Because when I stumble, when I blow it and I mess it up, He hasn't. He will not. Though my desire is to be an example as Paul and say, follow me as I follow Him. And I do say, follow me as I follow Him. So, out front, supply. You notice this one's back. You notice how it's turned here and you see the the point is back. Well, and again, this is important in leadership because good leadership strategically works to give shape and focus and freedom to the work that others are called to do. Leaders direct the traffic of the church, cutting up ministry into bite-sized bits that others will be able to do. And we do this here. Nate did trainings over the summer with our... Children's workers, leaders. That's what this is a demonstration of. When me, uh, Nate, and Larry get together and we develop a philosophy for the education system of your children to the college age, and we put this in practice and present it to you and to our leaders, that's us going back and supplying the equipping of the saints. To do the work of the ministry we do this here and this must be done in leadership and so leaders where your areas you know you bring your when you do your trainings when you when you help uh, you're 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 basically taking that uh, big responsibility and you're breaking it up in bite sizes because God never intended for you to do it alone you can't do it by yourself and if you're trying to do whatever you're doing by yourself you will burn out God has gifted his church And we are many members, one body, like-mindedness, pursuing the headship of Christ in our church and in our individual lives, but utilizing our differing gifts to better serve God and better serve one another. And that's how we supply um, to get the job done. So that's uh, one of the other uh, areas of, of leadership. Good leadership strategically works to give shape and focus. If we're called to be suppliers, we go back behind the lines and give people the tools they need to go out themselves. Luke 9 and 10 talks about this in the Scripture. Having prepared His disciples, Jesus sent them out. Having prepared His disciples, Jesus sent them out. Guys, that's what we try to do in these trainings when we... um, have these workshops and things like that. We're trying to equip you. Tyson's got this uh, heading up our apologetics this year. Guys, that whole conference is to equip you so that you can go out and make an impact for the cause of Christ. Uh, And the things, Nate used this in Sunday school this morning, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's the heart of your pastors. We're trying to pour into you and your lives biblical truth, biblical training, and trusting that to faithful followers of Christ. The last one is serve. Serve. And so... Uh, To the elders among us, you see this in 1 Peter again. We're going to look at the whole context, 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, uh, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, see he's making the distinction between the little shepherd, under-shepherd, and the big shepherd, the chief shepherd. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Pastors, fellow pastors, I encourage you, keep fighting the good fight of faith. There is a crown of glory that fades not that God will one day present and say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we'll lay those at the great shepherd's feet And uh, to Him be glory forever. We're called to serve. All four of these different aspects of leadership, the boss, commanding, the out front, example, the supplying of what's needed, and the serving will be part of biblical church leadership. Again, you don't have to like it. You can even disagree with it, but that's not going to change that these are the principles God has spelled out in His plan, biblically speaking, that He's invested into the local church the order and function of leadership. So what are some responsibilities of the pastoral leadership? Well, I'm going to run through these quick for time's sake. Protecting the flock, that's part of our responsibility, guys. Protecting the flock. You wonder why your pastor's always a little bit on pins and needles when you know, you're uh, listening to certain teachers that uh, maybe aren't giving you the biblical diet that uh, is best. Sometimes I'm on guard with those who come into our midst. Because again, imagine, because Scripture's told us, people creep in unaware, right? Imagine just imagine this perspective. I'm a shepherd standing here with a staff. I'm looking out over the fold. And y'all are a bunch of sheep. (coughs) I'm looking around. And then all of a sudden I see some movement coming in. And I look and it's like, it looks like a sheep. And all of a sudden I see him getting over here in a big pile and there's a bunch of y'all circled around. And all of a sudden uh, something pops his head up and ooh, that looked like a wolf. I better come over here and investigate a little bit. By the way, if I'm looking in your way, I'm not, guys, don't take, he was looking at me. I didn't like that. Don't read into that, okay? Get thee behind me, Satan. But I see the wolf there, and i you know, as a, as a shepherd, it's my responsibility to come in there and say, hey, hey, hey. Right? You would expect that. I'm afraid we got too many shepherds today that are just saying, Oh, they'll be fine. Let them play together. I don't want to judge. We're called to protect. We're also called to feed the flock. We're required to be able to teach. We're, we're called to refute those who contradict. That's part of our responsibility. Refute those who contradict. Though, uh, we're, we're to give the whole counsel of God, not just the things that make you feel good. God is love. You know, if I just paint that picture every week, but I don't confront you in your sin, I don't confront you in your choices of lifestyle that are hurting you, that are harming your family, that's not helping you. I called a shepherd the flock of God, feeding the flock. Jesus told Peter, If you love me, feed my sheep. That's our responsibility, pastors. Leading the flock. In biblical language, to shepherd a nation or any group of people means to lead or govern. Scriptural principle. To shepherd a local church means, among other things, to lead the church. To the church in Ephesus, Paul writes, Let the elders, pastors, who rule, lead, direct, or manage, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor. 1 Timothy 5.17 Elders, then, are to lead, direct, govern, manage, and otherwise care for the flock of God. And guys, I can assure you, Pastor Dean, Pastor Nate, and, and, and this pastor cannot do that in our strength. And we covet your prayers that God lead us, God direct us. In leading the flock, in Titus 1:7, Paul insists that a prospective elder be morally and spiritually above reproach because he will be God's steward. Elders are also called overseers, which signifies that they supervise and manage the church. Peter uses the verb form of overseer when he exhorts the elders. Therefore, I exhort the elders among you. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight. Again, these aren't my ideas this is what Scripture teaches. The responsibility of the church to God's called leaders. Guys, if you fell asleep, tune back in. Wrapping up. This is what God's Word says is the responsibility of the church to biblical leadership. The end of Hebrews 13. Sounds strange to our modern ears, Pray that God will help us understand it and apply it well to our own hearts. Obey your leaders. Submit to their authority. They keep watch over you as men who must give an account. Obey them so that their work will be a joy not a burden, for that would be of no advantage to you. Guys, I don't know about you and your individual life. I'm going to apply this to my marriage, and I'm going to even go back into my dating. When I used to do relationship my way, (laughs) it was terrible. It was always fussing and fighting. There was always problems. But when God challenged my heart to Jeremy, you've done relationships the way you think's right. Why don't you try doing them my way? That's when I met my wife. And even in that early struggle in our relationship in dating, there was that fussing and fighting, and that's when he challenged my heart. You've done these relationships your, your, your whole life this way. Why not do it my way? And when I begin to submit to God's direction in my personal life as an individual and how I should treat a future wife and a person that I saw had the quality, character of being a godly wife. That's when I found peace in my relationship. That's when it became a joy. Now look, we still fuss over you know, picking up the laundry in the, in the bathroom. Okay, who doesn't? But we overcome these things and differences because of our eyes on Christ. And so, again, this is a principle that we can apply. The responsibility of the church to God's called leaders, they require from us a certain amount of trust. But ultimately, this is God's Word. So our trust is in Him when we follow what He has laid for us to follow. You may think, yeah, but you know, trust must be earned. You've heard this saying, show me your competence to lead and I will give you my trust by following. At the same time, however, the kind of trust that we're called to give to our fellow imperfect humans in this life, be they family or friends, Employers or government officials or even leaders in a church can never finally be earned. It must be given as a gift. A gift in faith, in trust, more of the God who gives them than of the leaders He has given. Does that make sense? When a state trooper pulls me, which by the way, praise God, they haven't done it lately, and I hope they don't ever again. But when a state trooper pulls me, he could be the most immoral, corrupt individual under the sun. That's irrelevant. His position of authority, Romans 13, demands my respect. Because in respecting that position, I am submitting to God's divine authority and maybe he treats me unfairly maybe he does me wrong but guys we know one day there is a reckoning all the things that were done in secret and dark will be brought to light and so I'm going to commit that ultimate trust to God who judges rightly and he will And that's a practice for all of us as believers. When we're wronged in this life, when things don't go in the direction we think they should, we submit to God's authority and His say. Well, the nine marks of a healthy church. I've gone longer than I needed. Mark 1 was what? Mark 2. Who can say it? Been that long? Mark 2 was what? Biblical theology. Good. Mark 3. Nice and loud. The Gospel. Mark 4. Biblical understanding of conversion. What about 5? A biblical understanding of evangelism. Mark 6. A biblical understanding of church membership. Mark 7. Biblical church discipline. Mark 8. A concern for discipleship and growth. And Mark 9. Biblical church leadership. Guys, we have completed our study of the nine Marks of a healthy church. Thank you for letting me take a little more time. Let let me say this last quote because this is a solid quote. I want you to hear this. You and all the members of your church, Christians, are finally responsible before God for what your church becomes. Not your pastors and other leaders. You. You. Your pastors will stand before God and give an account for how they have led your congregation. We just saw that passage. But every single one of us who's a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ will give an account whether or not we've gathered together regularly with the church, spurred the church on to love and good deeds, and fought to maintain a right teaching of the hope of the gospel. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. We're in this together. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the study. Lord, it's uh, it's been a good study. I pray that we will take these things and hide them in our heart, that we will understand these principles and truth and put them into practice. Lord, don't let us just be hearers of the word deceiving ourselves, but let us be doers. Lord, help me to lead... um, Help me to be an example to this flock. Lord, I pray that you will uh, help us all to hold each other accountable. Help us to gather faithfully and regularly and be encouraged and build up not out of compulsion, but Lord, out of love, out of the desire to grow in the grace and knowledge. Lord, forgive us when we get anxious over um, an hour and 15 minutes in the house of God when we're going to spend three hours today watching football. Lord, we shift our priorities of our heart. Help us to fall in love with You and Your Word and Your direction in our lives. Help us to be excited about being in the household of faith. Help us, Lord, to be encouragement one to another, to use our spiritual gifts to pull together and to run this race well. Help Community Baptist Church to be a bright light in this community and do much for the name of Christ. And we will give You the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.